Hello and welcome to Encouraging Others in Loving Jesus. I'm your host, Kim Smith. This is episode 235. He didn't see the backstab coming. As we have made our way through the book of 2 Samuel, and now slowly through 2 Samuel 23, this will be our last week in 23 and then into 24, we're looking at the last words and the last section or season of the life of King David of Israel. And today we are going to spend our third week talking about somebody inside of David's inner circle of mighty warriors. So two weeks ago, we talked about the three. And you can go back and listen to that podcast on Podbean. Follow the QR code at the bottom of the screen, and that'll get you to all of the episodes. And I asked you in that week, who are your three? Who are the three in your inner circle? They may still be there, or maybe they've been there for a season of time and are no longer in that space. But for the time they were there, they were crucial to who you are today. Last week, we looked at the names of two and specifically one who were part of David's 30. So there's the three, and then there's the 30. And the 30 really is a little bit more than 30. It's 30-ish. And last week, we talked about two mighty warriors, and the second one was Benaiah. And that's who we really focused on. Benaiah, if you remember, was the one who chased a lion into a pit on a snowy day and killed him. So you can go back and listen to episode 234 to hear more about that. But today, we are going to talk about the one member of David's mighty warriors that most everyone has at least heard the name. Even if you have never heard a lesson specifically about the person of Uriah, Uriah the Hittite. If you grew up in Sunday school, after a certain point, because I don't know that they would teach this to little bitties, but at some point, you've been exposed to the story of David and not Goliath. We've talked about that one so much. You're just tempted to think that's the other side of it. David and Bathsheba. And there are people who know the story of David and Bathsheba who have no want to follow Christ, but they've still heard that story. But I want us to take a step back today And we're going to look at the list, uh, the list of the 37 mighty warriors as contained in 2 Samuel 23. There is another copy of a similar list that is in 1 Chronicles, but the, the, the names are a little different, and I'm sure there's a reason for that, but in that order is definitely different. And I'm not going to read down through these 30 names because all that it would accomplish is you listening to me try to guess how to pronounce 
Haled and Ithia and all, all these other names. So we, we talked last week about Abishai and Benaiah. We've talked, we've known that we were talking about David's mighty warriors. And we get down into the section of 24 through 39 and they're being named. And so let me just start with 37 and go through just a little bit of it. Zelik from Ammon, Nehari from Beeroth, the armor bearer for Joab, son of Zeruiah, Ira, or Ira, I guess it is, from Zatir, Gareb from Jatir. And then here is the name that anybody who grew up in Sunday school has probably heard, and that would be Uriah the Hittite. And then it says there were 37 in all. Now, that's all it is, is one simple little line, one simple little acknowledgement that Uriah the Hittite was one of David's 30-ish mighty warriors who put their lives on the line that stepped away from their families and did what was needed not only to honor their king but to honor Israel and to honor the God of Israel. Uriah being a Hittite, he's not an Israelite. A Hittite was another group of people but it is obvious from the text that we're going to read that he had chosen not only to align himself with King David, but to align himself with the God of Israel. So I'm going to go ahead and mention that our weekly assignment feature is what is one aspect of Uriah's example you can imitate this week. I don't know about you, but I have never in all my days heard a story taught from the perspective of Uriah the Hittite. And I remember when we were in 2 Samuel 11, which was quite some time ago now, I already looked at this passage in a what in quite a bit of a different way than many people do because as I look at it, I don't see David and Bathsheba in a consensual relationship I see David, the one who holds the power as the king, taking advantage of his position. And it still hurts my heart. But today, we're not going to focus on David, and we're not going to focus on Bathsheba. We're going to focus. So many times, I live in 2023. I don't know when you might be listening to this, but I live in 2023, and True crime podcasts are everywhere, as well as true crime shows. Like, you can't turn on many of the networks without getting a commercial for or seeing one of the many, and some of them incredibly well done, true crime podcasts. So one of the things that I've heard over and over again, and I agree, it, like... Sometimes they've got, they've got to be careful when they talk about these stories because they can end up putting so much focus on the perpetrators and never speaking about the victims, those who were violated or those who were killed, and the families that were devastated as a result. 
you know, I've seen sometimes where you've had school shootings and and the broadcasters have made a special effort to put up the faces of those who are being missed because they want the victims to to be recognized that this is not about the one who made the bad choice or choices but let's honor those who were innocent in this whole story today just imagine we are putting up the picture of Uriah the Hittite because for all these years you've heard that the story was about David and Bathsheba and obviously they have roles in this story but what about Uriah what can we learn from this mighty warrior this mighty warrior who was listed last in 2 Samuel 23, and there's no way for me to know why he is listed last in this listing. In the listing in First Chronicles, he's, I don't know, maybe the second, third somewhere. But when I saw that he was listed last, it just really, it bothered me. <laughs> and I doubt that he was listed last because he was the least of those that had been so faithful to David. But let's just let's just do a little conjecture. Could it be possible that David listed him last if David was the one who put together that list by chance? That he listed him last because it hurt his heart to acknowledge that this person who had been by his side and had been so faithful to him and had been one of his mighty warriors, he had violated and eventually had, had him killed. The ultimate backstab that Uriah did not in any way see coming. So let's go through 2 Samuel 11, but this time I want you to focus on the part of Uriah the Hittite. I'm reading from the NLT. You can read along with me from whatever translation uh, that you would like. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, jo David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was. And he was told, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. And when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period. Then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. Then David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent him to David. When Uriah arrived, David asked him how Joab and the army were getting along and how the war was progressing. Then he told Uriah, go on home and relax. 
David even sent a gift to Uriah after he had left the palace. But Uriah didn't go home. He slept that night at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. When David heard that Uriah had not gone home, he summoned him and asked, What's the matter? Why didn't you go home last night after being away for so long? Check out this response. Uriah replied, The ark, that being the ark of the covenant, the ark and the armies of Israel and Judah are living in tents, and Joab and my master's men are camping in the open fields. How could I go home to wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I swear that I would never do such a thing. Well, stay here today, David told him, and tomorrow you may return to the army. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next. Then David invited him, invited him to dinner and got him drunk. But even then he couldn't get Uriah to go home to his wife. Again, he slept at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. Verse 14, so the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and gave it to Uriah to deliver. The letter instructed Joab, station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is fiercest, then pull back so that he will be killed. So Joab assigned Uriah to a spot close to the city wall where he knew the enemy's strongest men were fighting. And when the enemy soldiers came out of the city to fight, Uriah the Hittite was killed along with several other Israelite soldiers. Then Joab sent a battle report to David. He told his messenger, report all the news of the battle to the king. But he must he might get angry and, say, and ask, why did the troops go so close to the city? Didn't they know there would be shooting from the walls? Wasn't Abimelech, son of Gideon, killed at Thebes by a woman who threw a millstone down on him from the wall? Why would you get so close to the wall? Then tell him, Uriah the Hittite was killed too. So the messenger went to Jerusalem and gave a complete report to David. The enemy came out against us in the open fields, he said, and we chased them back to the city gate. The archers of the wall shot arrows at us. Some of the king's men were killed, including Uriah the Hittite. Well, tell Joab not to be discouraged, David said. The sword devours this one today and that one tomorrow. Fight harder next time and conquer the city. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. When the period of mourning was over, David sent for her and brought her to the palace, and she became one of his wives. Then she gave birth to a son, but the Lord was displeased with what David had done. Do you have any idea how hard it was for me to read this straight through and not make comments? <laughs> if you want my comments on David and his behavior... You can go back to the podcast episodes about 2 Samuel 11. But let's talk about Uriah. So what do we see about Uriah? Well, we know from the list that he is one of David's 37 mightiest warriors. That's an elite group. That's a group that were known for their bravery. I mean, if you look at the exploits of the three, which were absolutely insane... Just imagine, many of you have watched the TV show Walker, Texas Ranger, where his exploits, them being fiction, of course, just seem impossible. Well, what these guys accomplished make Walker, Texas Ranger, well, he doesn't look so tough. I mean, it's just amazing the stories. And then you look at Beniah, who 
killed the lion. Also took out Egyptians, took out Moabites. And then when he was working for Solomon, took out anybody that Solomon needed him to. And then we've got Uriah. We've got this faithful servant to the king. Servant as in serving in the armed forces and doing what he was supposed to do. He was such a good servant and soldier that when David sent a message with him, of course Uriah not having a clue that he was literally carrying his own death sentence up to the front, but he did, he he didn't look at it. He took it straight, did exactly what he was told to do, trusting David. Worked out, didn't work out well in this life, but so then Uriah is brought in from the battle. And so David talks to him, asks him about how the battle's going, and then tells him to go home and relax or to... We all know that David's words of relax meant go home and sleep with your wife. Take advantage of this uh, leave that I have given you. And we don't know what the gift was that David sent to Uriah when he left it. But what do we see about Uriah? I mean, we've seen that he is he's a good soldier, really a great soldier. He's trustworthy. And here he is, a man of honor, because he refuses to allow himself the pleasure of spending time with his wife while the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, and the armies of Israel and Judah were on the battlefield. Like, what kind of quality of a human being is that where he is all about honoring God, honoring his king, honoring the other soldiers, and not focusing on his own desires. We could easily compare and contrast him to King David, who, as opposed to Uriah, who was Uriah being right where he should have been, David was not. David should have been at war where the kings normally were, but he was not. And as a result, his desire led him to sin. Whereas Uriah overcame his desire and honored his king, honored his lord, honored his wife, This is the type of man that Uriah the Hittite was. And, you know, I, I go back to his reply to David, because David's like, you know, why didn't you go home? And he said, the ark and the armies of Israel and Judah are living in tents, and Joab and my master's men are camping in open fields. How could I go home to wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I swear that I would never do such a thing. How would the world be different 
if we had more Urias, more men of honor, more men of courage, more trustworthy men, more men who put their own desires aside in order to honor God and to honor those who walk alongside them. You know, it says later on that when Bathsheba heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. And we won't know the side of heaven, what the relationship was really like. If Uriah, in all of his dealings, was as upstanding as he was in these interactions with David. But you kind of think he might have been. Since that seems to be his character. So what is one aspect of Uriah's example you can imitate this week? You know, Uriah was just doing the right thing. And David betrayed him. And Joab betrayed him. You know, there are some times that people will say things like, if you do the right thing, you will always be protected. Well, that's not true. It's not biblical. Was God asleep and just didn't notice what was going on? Absolutely not. God knew exactly what, but God let David make the bad choice and Joab to make another bad choice because he made a lot of them. Just because we make good choices does not mean that God protects us from the bad choices of others and the consequences that follow. But it does mean that when we stand before God, we stand before God not being accountable for the choices of others, but being accountable for the choices we made. And from this scripture passage, I would much rather be standing in the shoes of Uriah the Hittite than King David of Israel, at least from this particular season of time. David often was backstabbed himself. I mean, he thought that Saul liked him. And boy, was he wrong about that. And then he was totally blindsided later on in life by his son Absalom's rebellion. This backstab that David sent the way of Uriah the Hittite came back in spades to King David through Absalom's anger, hatred, rebellion, and the like. As we spent this time on Uriah, like, what did you learn about him? What challenged you out of his story? Have you ever heard a lesson on Uriah? 
I really thought that he needed his own his own time this in this this series of lessons. So many times he's just known as Bathsheba's husband that was killed by David. Instead of us as teachers taking the time to give honor where honor was due and to also learn from his story. I'd much rather have the testimony of Uriah during this season of time as one who was faithful, who was courageous, who was trustworthy, who was honorable, In which of those elements do you need most to focus? Are you trustworthy? Are you courageous? Do you honor those in authority over you? Do you place your desires before the desires of God or do you do as Uriah and lay your desires behind in order to honor the Lord's call on your life here's hoping that none of us will ever look at this story the same again and here's encouraging us all to take something from Uriah's example and grow in that area during this particular week. And if by chance you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, please reach out. You can either click on the link in the show notes or you can reach out to me at encouragingothersinlovingjesus at gmail.com I would love to hear from you. I would love to hear feedback about this particular lesson and how it may have challenged you. Maybe something you thought of that I did not. Again, the QR code to all of the episodes is at the bottom of the podcast. Next week, we will roll into 2 Samuel 24. And sadly, we see that the end to David's life he he still had not learned the lessons. It's not like we're going to be perfect before we see Christ. I mean, none of us are going to be, but we see David with misplaced focus, which cost him and the people of Israel. And we will continue our study on David 
into First Kings, I was looking to see just how far in. A couple of chapters, so we'll we'll have a few more weeks on King David. We may pull something from one of the other books, maybe First Chronicles, that has maybe a little bit more. But for this week, we focus on Uriah and his example. And may we go forth and live as trustworthy servants of the Almighty God, honoring those in leadership above us, but ultimately honoring our commitment to the Lord. And remember, it's always a trust and obey kind of day. Mm -hmm.